0: Hello and welcome to the How To Academy podcast, the bi-weekly show from London's home of big thinking, and also in this episode, thinking about things that are very small as we head into the realm of quantum physics. Last week, we brought together the two cultures of art and science in the form of theoretical physicist Carlo Rovelli and visual artist Cornelia Parker to explore the conceptual common ground between their respective projects. Science filmmaker David Malone hosted their conversation.
1: Good evening, everyone. A very warm welcome to the How-To Academy. My name is David Malone, and um, I'm as thrilled as you are to be sitting on stage with Carlo Rovelli and Cornelia Parker. Carlo Rovelli is a professor of theoretical physics at the University of Aix-Marseille and has a chair at the Rotman Institute of Philosophy. Cornelia Parker... He is one of the country's, I think it's fair to say, most important and influential artists. Um, she was... but <laughs> well, you know I was going to say it. So. She was shortlisted for the Turner Prize in 1997, which she should have won, um, and um, has a survey show of her work at the Tate at the moment. Why have we in- invited them together? Um, <laughs> Both of them, um, one a scientist, the other an artist, have wondered about the nature of things, objects, the familiar, ordinary stuff which makes up our world, and realised that things are not as simple as everyone thinks they are. Uh, This has led them both, to steal a lovely phrase from Cornelia, to become object poets, Um, who have each in their own way explored the same deep mystery, the mystery of things. And to give you an idea of how, starting from their different places and using different uh, materials, they've plumbed the same depths, Um, I'm going to give you a quote. And um, the the quote's talking about the the nature of things and objects, the stuff of the universe, and see if you can guess which of them wrote it. (laughs) If I could somehow plumb the depths, Tap their inner essence, I might find an unknown place which by its very nature is
2: abstract.
1: Now, while you're deciding.
2: <laughs> while,
1: while you're decide, trying to decide which of the two is not telling the truth, um, I'd, I'd like you to imagine that we are in what the quantum physicist would call a um, quantum superposition. Where we, we don't know what the answer is until we open the box and the wave function collapses. So, um, <laughs> would you like to reveal who it was?
3: <laughs> okay, who,
1: who was it? Own up. Mm. Oh. It was you, Conny. Why? Okay. Um, now, if I, Carlo, you have, in your recent book and in your life's work, actually um, plumbed the debts that Cornelia might, with some justification, say she'd done before you, but don't feel bad. <laughs> um, what did you find when you got to the bottom of things and matter?
4: So, thank you, David. You start from the easy questions, was right? just... <laughs> Okay. Um, well, first of all, no, thank you for all of you for being here, and I'm, I'm, I'm so happy and here with Cornelia, which I immensely admire as an artist. So, thank you for doing this with me. So, uh, the story is the following I do talk about the question, exactly the question you're, 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 you're posing in my book. And I, I, I do think that this is one of the most interesting things that has happened in science uh, in the last centuries, if not ever, probably. Because, uh, yeah, because it's uh, uh, what, has, what has happened in the last century in, in physics many things interesting happen in science. What was happened at the core of physics is this profound revolution, um, which has been quantum physics, which has forced all of us to rethink, as you said, what objects are, mm. to rethink the nature of reality in a very strong way. I mean, what do we mean by matter? What do we mean by things? Objects, big objects also, uh, everything. And quantum physics was... Uh, it's a set of phenomena that started becoming clear 100 years ago, and a mathematical theory that describe them, it's old. It's, uh, it's 100 years ago, and in my book I describe how it uh, it developed. Uh, one of the fascinating things is, uh, at the beginning, the mathematical theory that described this phenomena was found by kids, by boys. The uh, physics was called in Germany, the, the physics of the, uh, of the boys. Um, but, and it works fantastically, so it, it's a mathematical theory, describes reality, predicts reality, uh, with it uh, we do computers, atomic bomb, lasers, uh, magnetic resonance, whatever, you name it, everything. But what exactly this mathematical theory says about nature has not been clear, and the conversation about what it means has continued for a century, and is particularly alive today. Hmm. And I think... Today, after having digested all that, and have seen the immense success of this theory, more and more physicists, philosophers, experimentalists even, address this question straight. What is actually the theory telling us? And um, what I believe is coming out from this conversation centrally is the idea, and here I'm I'm getting to to try to answer the question (laughs) the way I can, is the idea that quantum physics is revealing to us that we are wrong when we think that uh, we can take the world and uh, make sense of it in terms of little things, pens, electrons, atoms, that you can describe as they are, for what they are, entirely with the properties uh, which are just characteristic of them as they move, this is black, it's, a, it's in this position, it's oriented in some ways, moving and so on and so forth, um, separating the universe in all these things. Well, this doesn't work doesn't work in the laboratory. If you try to do that in the laboratory, it works very really well for a pen. A pen always has a position, no doubt. But if you could measure the pen very, very precisely, it wouldn't work anymore. And, and if you go to small things, it doesn't work by far. So what does it work? It works thinking that an object is not an object by itself. is just the way it interacts with whatever is around. So the reality of things is not a reality of separate things, but of, of interactions. So There is no thing by itself, in a sense. There is only what we call object, is a sequence of events, of facts, which are uh, the way this object affects the rest around. So um, we are wrong when we think of the world uh, as a set of things with properties. We should rather think of the world uh, as a network of interactions in which one single thing makes sense, is understandable, even exists only in the way it is reflected in the world around it. Which means, in particular, that a single thing you can view it in very different ways and takes different meaning uh, depending on the context, depending on how you look at it, depending on what or who looks at it. Yeah,
1: you You have a very lovely phrase somewhere in the book where you say... Properties do not reside in objects, but are the bridges between them.
4: Yes, exactly. So I think that if I want to be precise, um, instead of thinking of object with properties, uh, we should think that the properties are ways in which an object affects something else. Which, to some extent, we know, right? This is a uh, this is black, but it's not black by itself. It's black because it, I see it black. Okay, so being black has to do with the light, my eyes, my you know, animals see colors completely differently. So black is not a property of the pen; it's a property of a, a connection between pen, light, my brain, my, and so on. This is a pen, but it's not a pen for somebody who doesn't know how to write. Somebody who come, an alien who come a different galaxy, <laughs> never heard about <laughs> writing. It's not a pen; it's just. A, and one might think that in physics, all these... Complicated relationality goes away because at the end of the day, all right. So it's not a pen because I see it's a pen. It's not black because my eye sees black. But end of the day, the atoms put there just by themselves. But well, that's wrong.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: the atoms themselves are only a way this interact with something else. Mm. So the world is just this m- set of mirrors that reflect one another in a sense, and this I find it beautiful. Mm. I mean, when I
1: was reading the book, there was a point where I thought, "Okay, I'm with him," and then I thought, oh, <laughs> "Hang on a second, oh, I've lost, I've lost." And then you said this lovely thing. You said, "Look, imagine an object that n- didn't interact at all with anything. Would it even exist?" And I thought, "Okay,
4: <laughs> I think I'm with him." <laughs> and then yes, the to, be, to, is to be is to interact. Yeah, I mean... It's not me, it's (laughs) bladder.
1: Okay, well, you can't be glad of it that easily. You you, you wrote it. But do you think then that if there was an object that couldn't interact at all, that it would be... A physicist might say, well, look, if it can't interact, it's not there. It just doesn't exist. If it has no qualities that allow it to interact at all with anything. Did I understand that right? That's what I understood when I read it.
4: (laughs) You're really going to (laughs) tough question, (laughs) (laughs) Sari. Let me, let me try Don't worry, to, I'll pick on Cornelius in a minute. Oh, that's just the beginning.
3: So.
4: Uh, let me try to give a, a tough answer. I think what we're confused about is when we say to exist. We overplay this word, this, this word, to exist. Like if, you know, there was something dramatic about existing or non-existing. Existing <laughs> is nothing else than just being, uh, showing up to something else. What else is existing if it's not that...
1: Okay. When
4: we, when, we, when we say something exists if i are not looking at it, of course something, I mean, the moon is there if you're not looking at it there. Yeah. But the moon is there, and we have plenty of reason to believe that the moon is there, right? Because we see its effect, we've seen it in the past, we expect it to remain there. So, of course the moon is there if we don't... Uh, but the moon has interacted with a lot of things which interact with us and so on and so forth. So, uh, what is the difference by me saying something doesn't exist and something has never had any relation with anything in the universe? And what is meaning to us? You can, okay. Let me put it another way. You can think that there are things separated by everything else. Uh, Sure, but do you want to call his existence? Call Hmm. them Johnny.
1: I'll pick on Cornelia
4: now. Oh. Uh, yes, because I need a uh, okay. little <laughs> rem-
3: It reminds me of um, a book that Darian Leder wrote. It was about looking for the, for the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa was stolen and for two years it was lying underneath somebody's bed in the dark. <laughs> and more people queued for the empty space in the museum where the painting hung than had ever seen the Mona Lisa. <laughs> and, and the question he made was, Does, because if art, is it art still, if it's underneath a bed and in the dark and nobody's looking at it, um, you know, is the Mona Lisa having this kind of two year break from being an object or painting? <laughs> um, and I like that all this idea of all the stolen objects or missing objects or things that have been buried, you know, that like now you've got lots of things coming up out of the water because of um, the drought, you know, we, we're getting bodies in barrels and warships, you know, and all kinds of stuff, you know, coming up out of the mm. water don't know what that's got to do with quantum (laughs) (laughs) Um, physics, but um, those are the kind of things that fill my head sometimes, you know, this idea.
1: and they filled your head for a long time. (laughs) Because, I mean, long before Carlo started down this path, (laughs) you you had matter and what it means, 1989. Uh, Tell us about that, because as soon as... When I was trying to decide whether I could understand a word that Carlo had written, (laughs) I then went to... To, to see the show, and I thought, okay, now I get it.
3: So where did you see it? Have you seen it recently? Yeah, yeah, it, yesterday. I, First fr- Street. Yeah, yeah, I did my homework down the cellar. <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's strange it's strange that piece because it's changed. It was two figures made out of coins that had been run over by a train, suspended on fine wires. And I made this piece in 1989. I called it Matter and What It Means. And when I was making it for the first time, I was finding all the coins, which were suspended on fine wires, were very volatile, and I couldn't get them to sit. You know, so I had to make little guy wires down to the floor and stick them down and, and hope at the very end, when I cut all the guy wires, that it all you know, these two <laughs> figures would be there, not just flying around. But they behave like a solid because there's mm-hmm. lots of these kind of molecular things that are all clinging together, but apart we're all completely yeah. like free radicals. Um, but more recently, I decided to reduce it to one figure. <laughs> so it's called matter what it means minus one. Um, it's a long complicated quite private story why that's uh, only one figure now um, but it's I prefer it as one figure I think it has much more resonance you know mm. um, before I was looking at things like the figures you get in churches you know the, the, the knight and his wife mm. and yeah and then there was other things like single figures which were made um, by say Chinese, the Chinese they'd They'd make jade suits for the dead if they were very rich, and the jade little squares of jade were all sewn together uh, with wire, gold wire, um, and they were to pay the journey into heaven. And so, th- so really, those those two things, you know, mm. the, the tombs of the church and this solitary figure—that's it's usually a solitary figure if if um, they've you know died. <laughs>
1: I mean, the the thing which struck me about that and, and um, other works like um, Thirty Pieces of Silver is that you you've got an object, whether it's a silver plate or whether it was um, a, a coin, and and you think you know what the characteristics <laughs> of that object are, but then you changed, changed it. it.
3: Because when the I way was, that Karl yeah. talking about, then it's. The, the that the, the meaning changes once you change it I Yes, well when
1: you look at it, it changes there's no point in saying well that's a collection of coins now it's it's not it 's a figure it's,
3: it's a coins. more compli- it 's a more complicated thing, but when I was a child, I used to put my pocket money or my potato picking money <laughs> um, on the railway track because I was for some reason I was terrified of trains, the train would come along and you know changed the money into something that was worthless because it no longer could buy anything. So I forfeited whatever I could have buy, bought with the money to, to have these little slivers of metal. Um, and that was quite exciting. I'd had a transaction with a physical object, which I knew was very powerful, and I was very scared of it and had good reason to be scared of it because look what it's done to the coins. <laughs> and so, yeah, so those kind of um, transactions but it then was a different kind of currency. You know, it became. Um, I was doing the same, but I was I, I was trying to derail the train. <laughs> you tried <to> what? <laughs> you tried to
4: do what to the train? To to, to des- destroy the train. But the oh. little thing, and I was thinking the train now is a big thing. We were two kids. Derail uh, it,
3: derail it. Derail, yes. 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 Have
4: it jump out of the rails. <laughs> it but, but you had much more uh,
3: ambition than me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it did never, never happened. Hello, it's Vas here. One of our all time favourite guests at How To Academy is back. Yuval Noah Harari's next book tells the story of how information networks have made and unmade our world. Nexus, a brief history of information networks from the Stone Age to AI, is out in September and available to pre order now.
2: Hey there.
1: What was it that led you to think that there was a question about the matter? That, it, that you could take a, something which you thought, OK, it's a coin, it's, it's not a complicated thing, I know exactly what it is, and use it as an artistic material to make something different?
3: Well, I got the money for my materials money from the corner house in Manchester. Uh, And I said, how much are you going to give me for materials? And they said, oh, we'll give you 500 pounds. And So I thought, can I have it in 10 pence pieces, please? (laughs) Because I'm going to make that my material. So it was like a kind of, this is it, this is the material. I'm going to use that. I'm not going to use... And I'd already done 30 pieces of silver, so I was thinking about coins or, you know... um, currency, that 30 pieces of silver means something because it's in the Bible, yeah. you know, and there's a whole betrayal going on with Judas and Christ and, you know, I like to borrow big themes yeah. <laughs> to imbue my little bit of, you know, stuff that's been steamrolled. But the coin piece, I, I, there was all sorts of things going on in my head. I got this very old encyclopedia from 1939, a big, you know, lovely thing, a child's encyclopedia, and there was a chapter that said, matter and what it means. So I just was borrowing the the chapter headings from this encyclopedia, but they were like trying to explain to children what matter was and what photons were and what electrons were and all this kind of stuff. And it was a very interesting, you know. I loved it. I loved the book. I still got it. Um, Sometimes consult it. But there were things in it like you could shoot a candle through a shotgun and it would go through a door because of terminal velocity. You know, it's the same thing about dropping a sandwich off the Empire State Building and it killing five people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's true, but, <laughs> but you know, those are the things that excite me for some reason. I mean, those are...
1: Kelly, <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's true that in some sense science takes a long time to prove... What? what she knew already. Yes. <laughs> that, 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 that it's often people have a sense this is the way the world is, and scientists spend decades saying no, 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 you're wrong, and then suddenly they go
4: actually, no, you're right. Yeah, to some extent, is absolutely so. And, <laughs> and, and what, I, what what fascinates me in in, in, in Cornelius' work is two things. One is exactly what you're saying. So the the, the the objects themselves. I mean, you go to see the the exposition, the, the take Britain, and you see some objects, and it's not the object by itself. It's what it. It's a story, the narrative, the, the, it's clear that what Cornelia is working on is the complexity mm. of not only transforming one object into something else, but what the object does to our brain is using what we know about it, what we don't know about it, what reflects it in, in something else. So it's very clear that uh, art is not the object. Art is the complexity of the, the story, the, what we think about it, it, and, uh, and uh, so that's one thing in which I, I see what you're saying, right? That, uh, <laughs> she knew already that. Yes. <laughs> but there's another thing. Um, last night Cornelia and I met, the first time we, we saw each other in person, and at some point I asked her, I asked you, when you were, I don't know, 16, 18, and you went into art, what was it? What did you want for you? And the answer she gave is uh, freedom. Freedom and uh, uh, going places, going somewhere, changing, challenging the, the sleepy, everyday <laughs> <laughs> life in which everything seems already solved. And that's exactly what attracted me in science. Right? That's it. I, uh, at the same time, went into science at some point I went late into science. I think you went into art before. I mean, when you were younger <laughs> than me, I mean, I was I was older when I decided to go into science. But what attracted me is not the science that gives you certainty or the science that says, OK, things are structured, this, so they are, period. But the science which liberates new meaning from things mm. and, and, and challenges the old way of seeing things. And that's exactly what happened in the... In, in, you see when you go to see the exposition of, of, kind of every single piece is a challenge to the way you would look at these things yeah. it's say, look, look, you can view it a different way, and you can have a completely different look. I do something and it, and suddenly it's it 's something new, and I think that 's what science at its best does so um, for me, what fascinated me in science is that we come into the world and we come into society and we are learned and schooled. To think that things are, things are like this, like this, like that, like that, and science comes in and say, no, 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 it's different. Change it, and and has done over and over, in the centuries, and still doing it like now, right? Mm-hmm. And now this is the Earth it's up and down. Nothing is moving. Wrong.
3: Okay, <laughs> Earth
4: is round. Up is the other side in Sydney, and we're not move, We're not still. We're moving, and um, space is different. Than we expect time is different. Than we expect matter is different. Than we expect. Is this revolutionary? continuously evolutionary aspect of science which fascinates me. And the problem is not to get to the bottom of that. It's to learn more and more and more, new and new ways, more rich, more, more, more vivid, more intense, to get in touch with reality. And I think the best art is what it does, whether it's Michelangelo, Vermeer, Dostoyevsky, or Cornelia, is that you, 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 you read, you look, and you see the world differently. You see, ah, it's a different way of seeing the same thing. That's, I think, what I love.
1: How have your colleagues received your work? Because a lot of the other theories of quantum mechanics, they do still hang on to the idea that it's a theory about stuff. It's a theory about electrons or a theory about protons or quarks. And you, in your theory, say, well, it's actually a theory about the relations between things. And so you hollow out, the actual material stuff kind of becomes unimportant in your theory. That's a very radical step, that's a much more radical reinterpretation of quantum mechanics than all the others, and they feud amongst themselves enough, so <laughs> I've talked to them. <laughs> so how have they reacted to it now, but not to do with matter at all, it's to do with relations?
4: Um, Good question. First of all, it's not just me. It's a number of people who are, who are going in the same direction which I'm Before going... i the one
1: who's in the hot seat here. So.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, and quantum mechanics, the beauty of quantum mechanics is it does not allow you to avoid being radical. That's the beauty. And that's the beauty of science. I mean, At some point, hard facts put in front of your nose that the old way of thinking doesn't work. So the alternatives... For instance, one of the alternatives is that uh, no, no, things exist, they're real, they're, 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 they're whatever they are, there's nothing relational, but actually, you know, the infinite number of copies of this universe, and infinite number of copies of you, each one is happening something different. Uh, well, you find this more plausible? Personally, no. Exactly. But... <laughs> okay. So, the question is not how things are, the question is what is the best way we come about thinking about reality. And if you want to hang on to an extreme realism, um, the world is seen from the outside, the God view of the universe. Mm-hmm. You have to do funny things, like multiplying, to believing that there are copies and copies of you, uh, zillions of copies of David and Carlos speaking, souls like different. That's even worse. I mean, why do you want to go that way?
1: Uh, High price to pay. <laughs>
4: So the answer is uh, uh, the debate into, into the world of physics and philosophy right now on quantum mechanics is alive, it's is strong there are different opinions. Uh, um, but uh, I would say in the last 10 years there are more and more people who have uh, slowly come about to a strongly relational uh, grasping of, of quantum mechanics. And the philosophers before the physicists. Yes. Somehow. And the physicists more and more, and even the experimentalists now, are thinking these terms. So, when they're in the lab, you see, you, in the lab, you, 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 you send an electron from here to here. So, you do something to the electron, bing, and then you bing, something happened here. And what happened in between is horrendously confusing. If you, if you want to think that the electron is going somewhere through, okay, you just get endlessly confused. I mean the typical thing, the most confusing thing of all, is that if you want to shoot from here and hit a target here, and there's a wall in between with two, two windows, the following absurd things happen. If you close one window, you can hit the target. If you close the other window, you can hit the target. If you get both open, you cannot. <laughs> it's impossible. But it's possible, it's
3: happening in a lab. <laughs> but,
2: does it make any <laughs> difference
1: to you, Cornelia? What when when you think that the the, the scientific fraternity, the, the, when 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 you've got people like Carlo dealing with the actual, you know, fundamental stuff of which stuff mm, is made, yeah. start to say? Well, it is less the way we've been thinking of it, more the way that you've been thinking of it. Yes. Does it make a difference to you? Or
3: do, does it make you feel superior th- or proud? or All <laughs> the above. <laughs> no, I, I think it's... Um, I mean, my instinct when I started making sculpture was to not make any lumps. <laughs> because I don't know why I didn't like lumps, but I'd been brought up on a small holding where I was planting vegetables in rows and I was milking cows by hand and doing all these manual tasks. But there were all lots and lots of tasks that would add up to something, you know, like siving hay. You know, you get enough hay together to make a hayrick. Um, so when I was making art, I wanted to... Um, I, I, that was my choreography that I already had as in my subconscious. That, mm. that was why, where I wanted to make art. And I'd look at Henry Moore or any of the other lump sculptures. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and And, you know, uh, um, I mean, I used to love uh, Daphne and Apollo by Bernini, which was a, a, a wonderful piece of marble, you know, in Rome that was just filigree and defying gravity. How he made yes. this lump of marble, marble into something that almost flies. Mm that that was really exciting to me rather than a, a, a very big, stonking, great whatever. <laughs> um, so, you know, I remember I was at Wolverhampton Poly you know, in, in the 70s where it was quite macho and sculpture was a bit more, you know, solid. <laughs> and, um, but I was, you know, not deterred. You know, I made the work I wanted to make and, um, and I have done ever since. And it, it's what I do find exciting now, is I, when I was at college, I was making abstractions everything I made was abstract. And I went off and did an MA and it was all abstract. And it's only when I started working at home, you know, not being able to afford a studio, that I started to use representational things. Mm -hmm. Like I I had all these little souvenirs from famous monuments, you know, the Empire State Building or Sacre Coeur or whatever, and they were on my mantelpiece, you know, and I decided I was going to cast many, many, many replicas of these things because they were already souvenirs and they'd already been reduced to the most abstract version of themselves. So to keep on mass producing them. And then I'd make, you know, suspended works out of them. And that was really exciting. You know, I could use representation, but I could push it towards abstraction Mm -hmm. rather than making abstract things that related to lots of representational things. So it was a complete reversal of everything I'd done before. And that was so exciting. That was a very exciting time, you know. Um, And then I got into the performative side. I've got lots of friends who... Um, performers and um, you know, so I got into st- the steamroller running over the silver. You know, <laughs> you know the the army blowing up the shed for me. Then the army became part of the work. You know, so that all all the process became part of the work, rather than sitting in a studio and making and a lot
4: of relations with the army, with the police, uh, with uh, authority
3: uh, figures. Yes, yeah, yeah,
4: all this, all this. I, I'm, I'm, terrified. See, I'm terrified, I'm terrified of You don't of seem <laughs> the same tribe of them, still you have a good relationship with them.
3: Yes, actually, they're really funny, you know, like the... <laughs>
4: <laughs> but how can you succeed making them do things they're not supposed to do? I think they really do.
3: enjoy it. I mean, they like you know, it, you think? Yeah, the cult firearms guys. they secretly, so, you know, all these
4: you know, people in uniform, they're secretly a little bit hippie. Yeah.
3: They, they, honestly, they loved blowing up my shed. And oh, all, yeah. That's there, there's all these Kenyan um, yeah, soldiers there doing exercises, and they were really completely baffled about what was going on. <laughs> and the major said, oh, this is an English tradition. <laughs> 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 we blow up the garden shed, you know, every year. <laughs> and uh, so that was, you know... No, I, I think it was really interesting, because you were asking them to do something that they don't normally do but it was giving them permission just to, 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 to go with the flow on it, you know. I mean, yeah. they went out to speak to you the You also army. got permission to go in the House of Parliament. Oh, yes.
4: <laughs>
3: but I not, to. To, not to blow that up. No, no. no. Um, no the flying a drone at, at night through the House of Parliament was very exciting.
1: <laughs> um, one of the things I love about what you just said, which relates again to Carl's work, where you said that then all of these... The Army and all these people became part of the process because that's again this comes up very strongly in the book where you say you can 't separate the the experiment from the observer, and this separation is sort of artificial anyway mm. that... T- Tell us what you mean by that because it seems so similar to what
4: it is yeah it is absolutely and yes. it 's
1: quite, quite an important shift in how you view the world isn 't
4: it yes it's like exactly the origin of this relational thing, it's a, and it goes back to Bohr and the, the beginning of quantum mechanics. In the, it, 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 the, it all started because these physicists were trying to study the small things of the electrons, and so uh, you need a machine, to, an apparatus, to, 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 make a, to make a measurement. And so you could make an apparatus and measure where is this thing, and, uh, and, and you know, measure position, you say, oh, I can see it here, I can see it here. And then you can make another apparatus, but a different one. That measure at which speed is moving, and and you can measure the speed, and then, but then you cannot do both together. And if you try to um, ascribe to the electron both a position and a velocity, you get nonsense, hmm. and you get wrong predictions. and really, the, the, the electron doesn't go where you suppose where, you were, where it actually goes. Hmm. So um, Bohr came up with this idea. Bohr, Niels Bohr, great Danish uh, father of quantum mechanics came out with this idea that you shouldn't think of the electron. You should think of the electron and the apparatus together. That's what is real. There's no electron by itself. Okay? So, the electron with one apparatus is one thing, and the electron with another kind of apparatus is something else. So, that was a core. From there, relationality came out, because then, slowly, it became clear that this has nothing to do with apparatus in particular. That's not how nature works. There are no things. There are things that act on other things. And so, to get some understanding, you should always look at the context you should always look what what's around things um what the story of things that that come out um, the this dream of isolating and uh, the the dream that i can know I, I know everything about this story about this thing uh, by itself is just wrong it just doesn't doesn't go and in a sense, mm-hmm. you were saying um we knew that. already. Okay? <laughs> yes. You only met her earlier. You could have, yeah, you know. I'm a bit jealous. But uh, uh, in a sense, it's um, in a sense, yes, we, we knew that because we know that. Because uh, uh, what is surprising is that you cannot make all this complexity rest on some bottom solid reality. Okay, the complexity stays up. Okay. The, the each object of the universe is actually a story that we tell about this object. Hmm. And we can tell a different story and we can look at it from a different perspective. And uh, that's reality. We shouldn't think that beyond this uh, uh, complicated, conventional reality there is the, the ultimate, finite, solid one. No, there isn't. The reality
3: is this no set solids. of stories.
1: <laughs> yes, well, that, that, and you, you, you also say that Objects are their interactions. Yes. It's not that objects are what they are and they have interactions. But they are
4: They're nothing themselves. Unless they interact, they are nothing. So the the objects are the interaction. Or are the I would I would like to say are the name we give to the set of interactions that happen that they produce.
1: Right. And how does that relate to the the the, the famous observer problem? Because older stories of quantum mechanics are you can never know, it's, it's what I alluded to at the beginning, you can never know the answer shift. until the observer comes along and goes, ah, it was Cornelia, or the cat was dead. Um, you know, and the, you don't like this. Uh,
4: the, I, I very much like it, and I think it's wrong, at the same
1: time. <laughs>
3: that's
1: a physicist for you. Okay. <laughs>
3: okay. Yeah. You would so never the, harm a cat.
4: The shift that, uh, the key shift, I think, and that's a central idea of Relational Quantum Mechanics. It, yes, it's Observer that uh, makes things happen. But not because Observer has a consciousness, is human. Uh, it's a man, has a PhD, has is, is gone to Cambridge. Uh, just because Observer is a piece of nature. A stone can do the same thing. Right. Okay? So it's not a, physics is not about Observer things and, 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 and scientists look at it. Physics is about pieces of nature that interact with one another.
1: And we are pieces of nature. We are pieces we just, of
4: nature. Okay. We are right. just, and Cornelia is a piece of nature. <laughs> a special piece of nature? <laughs> but a piece of okay. nature. <laughs> 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 yes, yes. Okay. Of course things. we are complicated. <laughs> we have memory, we do things, we chat, yeah. we do discussions. Yeah. Uh, but the reason uh, phenomena come about with respect to us... Is not because we're special. Phenomena come about because uh, they come about to pieces of nature one respect to another. So if in a different solar system two stones hit one another, each stone is manifesting itself to the other. Right. Uh, you don't need humans to do, to do that. And this is the core of relational quantum mechanics. Because in a sense, the fathers, a hundred years ago, the fathers of quantum mechanics, I think, got confused about that. They, they understood that to understand electron, you have to refer to something else. But they said, okay, this something else is, us humans in the classical world, is special. Right. And the relation of quantum mechanics is the idea, no, no, no. It's not special. It's just any piece of nature manifests itself to any other piece of nature. And that's a relational uh, understanding of quantum mechanics. So when they interact, does it, they're changing each other in some sense. Sort. Of, absolutely. To interact is to affect one another, to change, right. uh, to change. One because
1: another. that's what that's what you do. And in fact, there's a, there's a, there's a quote somewhere where you you say you, you can change the nature of an object by what is it? You call it an intentional act. Is that the right? Phrase uh, yeah. that you and it's what you do.
3: I mean, you, or a you... premeditated act of violence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> no, but it's a piece. You know, I've got in my show which is uh, bed sheets which have been starched with chalk from the White Cliffs of Dover, and they uh, they're called Inhale Cliffs, <laughs> and so the, the the sheets are very scratchy and full of chalk and would be horrible to sleep between. But the idea is. Of sleeping between two cliffs, I really like the idea. Yes. <laughs> idea of you know that, yeah. Basically, it's it, the White Cliffs of Dover and Beachy Head are obviously you know, they're they very precarious. I've got terrible fear of heights, so they're very precarious for me. You know, that walking along the cliffs. But um, but anyway,
4: Cornelia changes the meaning of things or objects act on them, make, make something, have, them blow, have things blown up and, uh, yes. or cut apart or, or, uh, <laughs> or broken or, you know, melt the film and then, and then, that's all the things. So there's this happening, okay? But then there's also the happening that the story does into us that allows us to... So it's, a, it's a relations all the way through. Whatever yeah. you, 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 you look at it, it's, it's, a, it's a story of connections, between narrative things, what is in our mind, what evocates in mm-hmm. our mind. Yeah. And then at the end of then of course maybe I should uh, this uh your f- most famous place is called Dark Matter, right? It's this is marvelous, which is also spectacularly beautiful visually, because there's all the shades and the thing and the and the so I went to see again um Cold Dark Matter uh, Yesterday, yesterday, yes, the day before yesterday. And uh, my main work, which is in quantum gravity, is to study what happened to black holes. Mm -hmm. And uh, black holes are super interesting because it's quantum physics, all this right applied to to, to gravity and to space and time. And what the mystery of black holes is that they, uh, that the stars that explode fall into themselves and and nobody knows what happened inside. Things fall in. We actually see in the sky matter falling in. And if you ask, okay, good, so we, see, we have the pictures, matter okay. falling in. And then if you ask, what happened to matter after it fell? Good answer today is that we don't know, we have no idea. Okay? <laughs> and so I'm working with this theory of quantum gravity to try to compute and come up with a story, and we have a story that inside there's some quantum event, this quantum tunneling, quantum phenomena, so there's a sort of tunneling, and the, the, the black hole, after a long time, opens up into a white hole, which is a long little thing that remains there. And right now, with my colleagues, we're trying to find uh, evidence that the theory is correct, and to do so, we're trying to connect to some phenomenon. We think that this story could explain one of the the, the things that remain after the black hole becomes white hole could be actually there in the universe, and could be the thing which the astronomers call called the dark matter, Ooh. which is a name.
3: Ah, for it. right. <laughs> Told you. <laughs>
1: you heard it here first.
3: Uh, joking, sorry, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love the bit in your book about here, Hegeland about um, Cubism, mm. you know, which happened around the, the, the same time. Uh,
4: Very much the same time. Yeah, yeah,
3: and so you get to see an object, all the object, all the, all the way around in one plane. Um, exactly. For, and I
4: think that in, in, in the culture of Europe at that time, uh, in the first decades of the century, uh, it, was, uh, it was around, right, somehow this idea mm. that you, know, you jump out of a, of a unique description of reality, a solid, simple description of reality, and, uh, and, and have this multiplicity of point of view, uh, which coexists,
3: yeah.
4: Was there in art? Was there in philosophy? Was there... And, and, and it came to science. It's completely wrong to imagine that science is sort of works in isolation. It's laboratory writing and equations. Mm. So, It's really ideas that get exchanged between between different parts of culture, I believe.
0: Hello, it's Vass here, recommending you a new book from our friends at Firm Press. This May, the author of The Argonauts and other genre-defying, unclassifiable modern classics, Maggie Nelson, is back with a new collection of essays. It's called Like Love. The collection celebrates art, artists and thinkers, including Prince, Bjork, Sarah Lucas and Judith Butler. Like Love is available to pre order now in hardback, ebook,
1: and audio. The interesting thing about your work, well, <laughs> one of many, Carlo talks about how objects affect each other and they change each other. But in your work, you, you set yourself up as the god of your universe. Because,
3: <laughs> well, but in the sense that. Not you, true.
1: <laughs> but you take objects and you decide how they're going to change. And more than that, you then have in mind that this is going to mess with me when I come to see this object.
3: Oh, I'm, not, I'm not thinking about messing with anyone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you do. <laughs> um,
3: I mean, they made a piece in New York for the Met... Metropolis Museum roof. They have an annual roof commission. And I made a thing I called transitional object and then brackets, psycho barn. And and it was a red barn that I bought the timber from, uh, from upstate New York. And I had set builders make the psycho house the set from the Psycho House, from the Hitchcock film. Mm-hmm. But it was made out of red wood and white wood and wood... From, and and the, the roof of it was made out of shingles from the corrugated metal of the barn. So every bit of the barn was used in this thing. Um, and it was all propped up from behind. So it's only two flats. The, the original set was only two flats. But from one view, it looked just like very reminiscent of the Psycho House. Uh, but also Edward Hopper had painted... Uh, the house by the railroad, which had inspired Hitchcock to 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 build the the, the set the way he did. Ah. Um, and um Edward Hopper was also a painter of red barns um, and Obama had two paintings by Hopper of red barns that he'd borrowed either from the Met or from the Museum of Modern Art on his in his Oval Office. you know politicians love red barns because red barns are all about good and home, home you know home wholesome things um They were European, they came over with the Dutch and german settlers and and the color of the red barn was. Um, made from animal blood and oil mm-hmm. and rust and oil as well. So that red colour had come mm-hmm. from the slaughter of animals and whatever. And they used to have hexes on their barns and everything, all the Europeans did. <laughs> so really, it, be, it became sort of... By coming to America, it got made into some sweet, cosy thing, you know, the, the red barn. And then Hitchcock came from <laughs> from Leightonstone, where I used to live. I mean, there was all these... and. He came over to Hollywood. He loved Hopper. Uh, Hopper liked him. I mean, they both liked each other, which is I don't think they ever met, though. Um, but so anyway, I just got wrapped up in all this. Meanwhile, in New York, when I was making the piece, you know, um, Trump and Clinton were, you know, both, you know, both New Yorkers, both up for the, for, for the presidency. And the guys who were making the set for me, they were also making the sets for their... Their debates on TV. <laughs> I don't know. The whole thing just got very you know, layer upon layer, uh, <laughs> um, and that's what happens when I make a piece of work. <laughs> it, just, it
1: just people should be very careful. I know exactly. Um, if any of you are feeling very brave, um, <laughs> can I ask you two if we can have questions from the audience? Is that all right?
3: Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
4: Um, why? This is a question for Carlo. Why can't things be in themselves existing substance or reality, if you like, and also be relational? Why does it have to be only relational? Mm. Oh, yeah, it's a good question.
1: Another easy question.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: I don't think, for 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 what is, physics is concerned, the answer it's a, it's an a priori answer. So, there's a, a priori, why not? In fact a metaphysics in which there's some substance and and, and there are relations, uh, it's perfectly possible. It's really concretely in the laboratory that it doesn't seem to work. If you try to use... use, uh, I I mentioned the case in which uh, you can hit a target if, if one window is open and you cannot hit the target if both windows are open. If you think that there is an object, a piece of reality that goes through one window, and hit the target. Uh, it's very hard to come up with a story about why it cannot when, when both windows are open. So people come up with these stories that the object actually spreads out like a, w- a wave, but then the wave suddenly, magically, gets back to like a little stone. And then people say, okay, so this is a way of uh, of bringing back a, a substantial, nature. there's a wave and the object, but then the problem is that uh, um, why the wave collapses in a single point? Uh, well, the only possibility is maybe it doesn't, and uh, it, it's us collapsing. So we get to this idea that there are copies of us and and all sorts of copies. Of us. So if if you try to follow that road to make sense of the experiment, you have to fatten and fatten your ontology more and more and more, and keep adding things. So the choice is between. Uh, uh, assuming that reality is much more full of things that we don't seem to be need, because we don't need extra universes to, to understand what happened here. And uh, science does not prove worldviews, views, uh, makes them more plausible and more useful. Uh, in the Renaissance, science Uh, did not prove with Copernicus and then Kepler and Galileo and Newton that the Earth is not the centre of the universe. The Earth could still be the centre of the universe, but it becomes a redundant way of thinking. We don't use that anymore. So I think this is what's going on in quantum mechanics. It's not that it proves that the world is relational, but to make sense of the phenomena that we observe, adding a substance beyond the relations makes everything redundant, and uh, in a way
5: that uh, it's
4: much easier to just get rid of it. <laughs> there you go.
5: Uh-huh. I've got a question for Carlo and Cornelia. I, I recently heard a podcast uh, about quantum physics, and they were talking about the idea that you have all of these quantum particles float, you know, floating around the world, the universe, and then you have something called emergence, where somehow they interact with each other and come together and form say, gravity, um, something quite predictable, and then out of gravity forms a sun or a star or or something like the Earth. And then the next idea is that these particles then keep moving around, and you have the idea of something called strong emergence. And a very good idea, a, example of strong emergence is consciousness. So ultimately, these quantum particles going through gravity and all of these physical things to consciousness. And, and maybe that's where we're Cornelia comes into it, and, and, and art being almost an example of the pinnacle of quantum physics, where you have strong emergence and quantum particles actually forming concepts. Okay. Ooh,
3: sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that one. That's good. <laughs> um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I think what I always assumed myself for my work is that my... Uh, subconscious, no, or unconscious, no, subconscious, knows more than my conscious mind. So I'm very happy to give it free rein. With a, you know, I don't know, I've made of art for many years, and so I just assume hmm. <laughs> if I'm really passionately want to do something, or I'm compelled to do something that seems totally illogical, then it must be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Does that because, work with
1: policemen and judges? Gorge.
3: No, but that stops me getting in, you know in trouble mm. <laughs> because I'm making art and I'm not you know <laughs> robbing banks or whatever I would really like to be doing. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I always thought that that the thing about. Going, having a concept, a bit like saying, "I'm going to the shop to buy a pint of milk," and that's the concept. You know, mm. you, you you're going to make this journey, and you're going to buy something at the end of it. And on the way, all kinds of stuff happens, and you might forget about the shop <laughs> and <laughs> and the milk, and you know, you you've got something else. But you needed the motivation to get out to, to go and buy mm. the bottle of milk in the first place. So, so as an artist, I'm always sort of making little. Gestures like that. I'm trying, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm having a concept. You know that people say, "Oh, you're a conceptual artist," but all artists are conceptual. You know, that's you know a given that we all have ideas. But it somehow, my studio is my head, you know, which sometimes I wish it wasn't, and I wish, <laughs> wish I had a proper studio. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, where am I going? I'm, I'm not sure where of I'm course. going with this. <laughs> 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 Moving swiftly on. <laughs> I think, okay. let me say some one thing, because you, you
4: raised a big, <laughs> a big, a big, a big <laughs> issue. Um, I think we get confused if we try to start from one level of description of reality and, and try to walk all the way up to all the others. Because uh, uh, it makes no sense to use some description of reality for describing part of reality, which are much easier described in another way. If I have to, you know, spend an evening with my girlfriend... Uh, I shouldn't think of the Maxwell equations and protons, uh, how they move. I'm you know, <laughs> not going to get anything good in, the, in that it's, it's better that I think about you know, emotional relation or other kind of stuff. <laughs> Which does not mean that the two levels of description are necessarily incompatible. They're not incompatible. Um, but we address aspect of reality with proper tools for what is going on there. And then we we try to understand how their different levels are related. And some we understand very well, some we think we understand, but they are holes. Chemists describe uh, things in terms of chemistry. It works very, very well, and they don't need to go back to the physics. But we do understand how the chemists and the <laughs> physics relate. And there is roughly the same relation between... Mechanism, biology, biology and psychology, psychology and social sciences, and what happened in our brain. I mean, of course we miss a lot of details in all this story, but I don't think there is any, uh, neither really break between, between all that. And then I think the circle closes, because then in our brain, the formation of concepts, and these are the same concepts that we use for understanding all that. So things close. Um, if we sort of, Try to take one starting point and derive all the rest, we find all the difficulty of every step. Mm. So then we get this funny, you know, uh, how is it possible that my girlfriend is just Maxwell equations and electrons? Well, it's possible, but it's just a stupid way of looking at her. Um, There are better ways, (laughs) much better ways. Um, So the story that you gave is a super short attempt to make an account of how everything goes together. I think everything goes together but without having to pick a, a, a fixed point and derive all the rest. If we pick a fixed point, I think we get confused. I can get a f- fixed point is what I see, my perceptions, mm-hmm. and derive all the universe from that. That's a bit stupid, because who am I? I mean, I'm just one of the many things in the universe. Or, you know, uh, particles interacting. Yeah, it's what one level of interaction. I think what's most interesting is to keep all the... All the the various parts uh, in mind, and focus one at one, uh, one at one, when, when 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 that level of description is more useful.
1: Other questions? Yes. Okay. Over there. Okay,
4: thank you. Mine's a short question.
2: It's for um, it's for Carlo. I have one irritation that I got from reading um, the um, <laughs> reality about reality, and it was the idea that when an electron leaves an orbit and um, moves to another orbit, the, the, the quantum leap that it makes, that it actually ceases to exist. I realise that my question relates to a lot of other questions that have been asked here. I also heard a podcast... <laughs>
1: you, you promised us a short question. Well, yeah,
2: yeah, but I'll be quick. The, 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 the universe didn't consist of, um, of waves and particles. It, it consists of information and that, um, that, where, that if, uh, if any body entered a black hole, all the information on that body would disappear, so you would not be able to know its past, its future, or anything that goes on in the present. That brought me back to the irritation about what happens to an electron when it moves from one, one orbit to another, and which you said it ceases to exist. But it does reemerge when it interacts, because it only exists when it interacts with the, with the two orbits. And the question is: Is it possible that that at that time that it disappears, if 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 the only thing that can cause existence to disappear was a black hole, is it possible that an electron enters a tiny black hole and then emerges in its new orbit? Because it does change when it comes out, doesn't it? The, The properties of it change. Is it possible that you, the universe consists of billions of black holes
4: that things disappear <laughs> into and they come No, I don't think so.
1: Um... <laughs> <laughs> it was a heroic effort, though.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, black holes are, are you know, I, 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 I get a salary by studying black holes. Um, Black holes are fascinating things, uh, but they don't solve all all, all the problems of the universe. They are what they are. Um, And uh, trying to make sense of the quantum jumps, that's what you were suggesting. Using black holes is... It's it's, it's trying to make sense of something we understand little using something we don't understand very well. (laughs) Uh, So making this work, I I don't see it promising (laughs) <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> okay great please um,
3: I have a question for both of you about communication Carlo you're basically the only author that has helped me in any way understand quantum mechanics and Cornelia walking around the tape looking at the little signs next to your artwork you write not about sort of quite new y art ways of working but the way you actually sort of created the pieces and it's very straight talking and you both communicate in ways that a Luddite, like me, can walk around and just sort of understand in some ways where your sort of minds are coming from. So I just was interested about where that kind of idea of communication comes from, why that sort of is important, and how you sort of, yeah, uh, your thoughts on that, really.
4: Yeah, can I I interject something? In fact, one thing that... um, I was strong impressed with the work. I, I like to go to in, in, in an exhibition or museum and don't read anything, which I cannot do with your work. If I don't <laughs> it, I'm, just, I'm lost.
3: You can just ignore it. I mean, it's just when the Tate I mean, said that. I it, missed, then I tried, it,
4: yeah. but then I missed the full point. I mean, it's just, uh, I,
3: I. Well, I think it's, hmm. as I said, you know, things accrue. And um, yeah. I, um, the, the, the Tate were going to write captions. Um, for me <laughs> and I thought hang on I can <laughs> I think I you know know more about it than they all know surely <laughs> um, and so so I you know write, wrote a short paragraph um yeah, but I like I like I enjoy doing it. I thought I'd do it before dementia set in, and I could not remember <laughs> what remember what any of the the work was about. Um, you know, you, you get all, that information is most probably out there anyway, and it's yes. just it's just a nice. I think it's a sort of. I also have a lot of students. I'm on the national curriculum, and I have so many students who are studying me at A level or O level or whatever, and I have lots of demands from them. Uh, And I thought, well, if I I put it all there in the exhibition, then it's kind of, you know, it's there for them. And anything that that allows people to enter the work more fully... Mm. um, I mean, I think of a newspaper, and you think of all the the images in a newspaper and imagine them without any captions.
4: Yeah, but somehow I (laughs) realised in your your exhibition that this myth I had that I could go in and not have any information It's completely silly because of course when I go and see something my head is full of expectations and, and the very fact of being in a museum is enormous you know label attached. Yeah to the, of course to the I mean
3: I, uh, I try to keep them as small as possible but um, and people can ignore them if they want to but I think for me words you know, I think it's my second love, really. I, I love mm. writing, and I, I, I don't know. I just felt um, that, that they might be useful. <laughs> yeah, we,
4: we, we cannot not communicate. That's what it's mm. all, what, we're doing, what we do. I mean, we are communicating animals.
3: I mean, I used to teach for 15 years in art schools, and I don't do that anymore. So, in a way, it's just an extension mm. of, of my practice, you know, that it's... Um,
1: but in your book, you also, towards the end, you do talk about information.
4: Information yes. becomes
1: a major topic right at the end of the book.
4: Yes, information has become a major topic in, uh, in physics. Mm. Um, our big grant is called Quantum Gravity, Quantum Information, and this information is all over now in... Uh, in uh um, in part for many reasons, because the computers, computers deal with information, and these quantum computers, quantum information, all this stuff, but also because uh, there had been a hope that information could play a, a totally central role in physics. In fact, my first paper um, back in the 90s on, on relation quantum mechanics had a full chapter about informational reconstruction of quantum mechanics. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant. Information, it seems to me, playing, is doing... What happened to energy at the end of the 19th century? So at some point, energy it was very clear that energy is a major notion. And you know how we humans are. When we find something, we think that's it. You've got to, it's all that. Okay. Um, discover a machine. Okay, the universe is a machine. Humans are machine. Everything. Then we discover video games. Okay, the universe is a video game. Everything is. Uh, we, we, we learn how to deal with information. Everything is information. So um,
1: the universe is an app.
4: Exactly, it's nonsense, I mean, I, where, where is the heart really? Um So it seemed to me there was a time at the end of the 19th century, especially in Germany, where there was this idea, everything is energy. In fact, it got in the popular culture, right? Everything is energy, they preach. Uh, it's not true that everything is energy. Energy is an extraordinarily good notion. that has to do with you know passage of time, symmetry, time. It's very important in use. Useful, but it's not that everything is energy. That doesn't mean anything. And so I have come to believe that we are going through a similar infatuation with the notion of information, which is great because since I believe there's this deep relational structure of reality, what we're always talking about is the information that one system has about another information. Mm. So about one system, what we can say is what the information that other systems have about it. So, of course, information becomes a natural language for talking about that. But to say everything is information, it takes away mm-hmm. the reality of stuff. Stuff yes. is not information, right? Like, everything is not conscious. Everything is not energy. There are things. There is still this reality. It's not information. Well. (laughs) Um, Um, Look at me as a symptom. No, it's
1: just because I'm the person who gets to tell the kids that Father Christmas doesn't exist. It's the worst part of my job. Um, We've run out of time. The the good news is, even if nobody here understood anything that either of them (laughs) said, they still exist. (laughs) Um, And so because they exist, would you um, join me in thanking Carlo?
0: this episode starred Cornelia Parker and Carlo Rovelli. The presenter was David Malone, and the show is produced by Esme Bright and myself. Our editor is John Doughty. Carlo's latest book is Helgoland, which tells the amazing story of the birth of quantum physics. And Cornelia's Tate Britain show is on until the middle of October. Till next time, I'm Vas Christodoulou. Thanks for listening.